Romans chapter 12 today. Take your Bible, if you would, and join me there. Romans chapter number 12. When you think about it, beauty is one of those things that is challenging to define. How is it that you say the characteristics or the qualities that embody something that is beautiful? And sometimes to define something is to actually destroy the beauty of the thing. For example, how do you define the beauty of a sunset? When you're watching the mix of color and clouds and the hues that change and morph before you, and you think in your mind how beautiful, how is it that you can describe the same? You could, I suspect, describe some of the, the, the science of the thing and, and maybe even the mathematics of it as, as far as the, the earth and its movement. And There are different aspects that you may be able to put some definition to, but how do you define the beauty of a sunset? If we wanted to take it into another realm, how is it that you define the reality of something as magnificent as love? How is it that you begin to say, this is what love is truly all about? We come up with different definitions and sometimes helpful insights, but have you ever even been asked, what does that mean? If someone were to say to you, I love you, well, well, what does that mean to you? Sometimes we have a hard time putting into words something like love. I love you. Well, wonderful. Well, what does that mean that you love me? And sometimes we even answer with words that are, are so woefully insufficient to describe what it is that we somehow know is the reality. I love you. Well, what does that mean? I don't fully know. I, I just know that I love you. The passage that's before us today in Romans chapter 12 is one of those passages that is honestly challenging to define. To be clear, Paul is about to take us through a section of Scripture where he will define some things for us that in some way, shape, or form defy definition. What is it that is before us? Well, it is what's going to become the title of our message today, and that is my participation with the body. When we're talking about the body, we're talking about the assembled body, the church, my participation. What does that look like when I participate with the body? Well, certainly the chief component of this participation is what we refer to as love. It is bound together. It is glued together with something that in many ways defies definition. We don't want to stray far from the basis on which Paul is, is, is instructing us here. Throughout this masterful letter to the church at Rome, Paul uses the word therefore strategically. He's saying because all of this is true, it will have implications in the manner with which our lives are lived, the way we follow Christ, the way that we love one another. In many ways, Paul is saying because of the life-changing power of the gospel, 
and the life living power that it brings, this is how we participate with the body of Christ. Remember, if we've offered our bodies as a living sacrifice and we are being transformed by the renewing of our minds, our lives begin to look genuinely different. There is a natural therefore. This is what the, the doctrine of Christ and the gospel does in my life. Therefore, this is what it's going to look like. Paul is not about to offer some moralistic message of let's all do better. If this were the case, then we could just as easily listen to the pop culture of the day. Or we could listen to the songs from days gone by. And then all of us could just say what the world needs now is love, sweet love. But is the gospel more than just a moralistic message or some beautiful platitude regarding the need for love? And the answer is most assuredly affirmative. One commentary that I read speaking of this passage of scripture and the verses we'll consider today said it this way. The final 13 verses of this chapter defy outlining. At best, it is possible to identify the hilltops that poke above the plane of Paul's thought on the topic of love. Now again, it might be something if, if we left this service today and we concluded this sermon and someone said, what did the pastor preach on today? It might be nice if we just said he preached on love and it was beautiful. But what are the implications of this love in the realities of our lives? I might add that Paul has taken a long time to get to these imperatives regarding love. And the reason is because if you begin with what we're going to cover today, you could find yourself, even with a topic such as love, in a, in a terribly legalistic place. Like if you love, this is what you have to do. To love, you have to do this and this and this and this. And let's start there. And Paul does not. Paul starts with the gospel, and when I begin to understand the realities of the gospel of Jesus Christ, it transforms my life, and there's something more than what the world sees as love. This is something that is otherworldly. Let's begin by looking at five of the final 13 verses in this passage. Your Bibles are open to Romans chapter 12. Let's begin with verse number nine. Romans 12, verse number nine. Let love, this will frame the rest of his context, the rest of his comments. Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love. In honor, preferring one another, not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer, distributing to the necessity of saints, given to hospitality. So as we begin with this passage, let's ask the question, how am I to participate how am I to demonstrate my participation with the body of Christ? How do I demonstrate this? What's this going to look like? Okay, I know I'm supposed to be participating with the body. 
So help me understand, if I have a life that is literally changed, there's some metamorphosis that's happened, there's something that is otherworldly about my life, what does that look like as I participate with the body? Now, next week, we're going to talk about, okay, what's my life look like as I participate outside the body? with people not a part of the assembly. That's something he's gonna cover, but he begins by saying, okay, this is what your participation within the body of Christ should look like. Let me also say, we're going to start with what the apostle Paul starts with, and we'll spend a, a large portion of our time on this first of six imperatives. But let's begin where he does. How do I demonstrate my participation with the body of Christ? Well, first of all, with the sincerity, with the sincerity of love. There should be something that is genuinely sincere about the manner with which a believer demonstrates love to other believers. This is his starting point for all the other directives he gives us in this passage. Again, Romans chapter 12, verse number 9, the first part of the verse, let love be without dissimulation. Now, that's not a word that we use often today, but we still do use it. And it carries the idea of what you see is what you get. S sometimes a person might be smiling on the outside and saying words, but we question or we at least raise an eyebrow wondering, do they really mean what they say? And the Apostle Paul says, let your love be with sincerity. That there should be nothing hypocritical, nothing feigned about the way with which a believer loves. The word dissimulation, it's the word that we get the word hypocrisy from. What we're being told here is don't allow your love to wear the mask of insincerity. J.B. Phillips comments on this verse with, let us have no imitation Christian love. Counterfeit love is worthless coin in the kingdom of God. It seems that as Christians, we often have little difficulty focusing on what we hate. Can I say that again? And please don't miss this. It seems like in our Christian world, everybody knows what a Christian hates. But sadly, there is less of an obvious understanding with how is it that a Christian loves. It sounds good to say that we are a church that loves. Yet if this is not put into public display, part of our daily practice, it becomes only sounding brass, tinkling cymbal, in other words, a lot of empty noise, but not the walk of love, which is really not love at all. In 1 John chapter 3, verse number 18, we get again this same theme. My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Consider just a brief sampling of scriptures from the word of God related to this matter. 1 John 3, verse number 14. We know that we have passed from death to life. Whoa, this is a big indicator. We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren, he that loveth not his brother abideth in death. First John 3, 16, hereby perceive we. Oh, wow, I get it. I see it. There's no question in my mind. 
Hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. We might say that the distinguishing mark of the reality of your Christian faith is that of love. John 13, 35. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you have love one to another. Isn't it interesting that he doesn't say, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you love others. He just said, if you love one another. He's speaking about that intimate body of believers. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse number 22. Seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren... See that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently. The word fervently, it comes from the verb that means this. It means to extend the hand. See that ye love one another fervently with extended hand. It's the idea of I know you have a need and here I'm eager to extend my hand of help, my hand of supply, my hand of encouragement, my hand that has the necessary resources to meet the need that a fellow brother or sister in Christ may have. The extended hand is love in action. It is love doing, not just love saying. Again, the Apostle Peter reminds us, 1 Peter 4, 8, and above all things have fervent charity among yourselves. For charity shall cover the multitude of sins. This doesn't mean that you're hiding the sin of another. It means that your issues with one another are handled with love and therefore don't become everyone else's issues or business. This also means that a believer can still love another believer without having all the feelings of emotion that often accompany love. How many of you have ever been frustrated with another? Don't raise your hand, okay? Whew caught that one okay so how many of you have ever been frustrated with another believer in church during a church service now don't raise your hand but I mean in church the assembly of believers how many of you have ever I know I'm asking somewhat of a loaded question but how many of you have ever wanted to wring the neck of a fellow believer who was on their phone during the entire service Okay, you said, listen, I did want to wring their neck, but I wanted to do it in love, okay? (laughs) Probably you just wanted to love doing it, okay? So the idea is, all right, sometimes there are things so frustrating. Um, This was not in in this church, okay? But um, in a church that we attended and I pastored for a long time, years ago, there was a gentleman that would sit in front of my wife during the service And every service, like clockwork, he would take out, sometimes multiple times, um, his little, little, you know, lifesaver mint. And then the whole process began. I mean, he had a process with this thing. What he would do, the means by which he would open it. And this is like two points of the message, okay? And, And every time, this is this whole focus for all kinds of people around him. I can remember one time we gave out in Mother's Day, we gave out um, these beautiful roses and they were wrapped in this clear plastic wrap. Now this was one of the times that my love was challenged because during the whole service, one of the mothers right towards the front is playing with the rose wrapper. 
I wanted to wrap her in the wrapper, okay? There are times when the, the body assembles and we find ourselves frustrated with one another within the body. Remember what Jesus said to Judas. The very thing that was supposed to be the embodiment of the, the, the brethren love, the love of one another, Jesus says this to Judas, Luke 22, verse 48. Judas, betrayest thou the Son of Man with a kiss? This was the epitome of insincere love. Love with a mask. Love that says one thing, but in reality, it is doing another. The love of which John and Peter and Paul are speaking of is genuine love that removes self from the center and replaces self with the Savior. They have presented themselves a living sacrifice, have not thought of themselves more highly than they ought to think, and have decided to make Jesus Christ not the offense, the focus of their attention. Think of how beautifully this allows the body of believers in any church to function together although they may be vastly different believers. In Scripture, we read this. It's not often a verse that we quote in this pulpit. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12. It says, greet one another with an holy kiss. Some are saying, amen, pastor. Let's begin practicing today. Okay. Let's give some context to the passage. The invitation is given three times in Scripture. Some ask, well, what, what does it mean? It was a kiss on the cheek, and it was intended to convey that all in the body of believers were equally united, together in Christ. There was a shared family union within the body. And Peter, he referenced it this way, 1 Peter 5, 14, greet ye one another with a kiss of charity. This is the kiss of agape. It's the kiss of sincerity. It's not Judas's kiss. It's not Judas's kiss. It's not the one who comes and, and he greets Jesus with a smile, maybe even an embrace, and then the customary kiss. This is the, the kiss that is anything but unfeigned love. The kiss of agape is the kiss of sincerity. It is not sensual in nature, it is spiritual in nature. And, interestingly enough, it can be absent of emotion, but not absent of love. How are, we to, how are we to participate with the body? It begins with the sincerity of love made possible for those who have offered themselves as living sacrifices, are being transformed by the renewing of their minds, and are now using their gifts to advance the body of Christ that is the church. So how do we participate? We do so, first of all, with a love unfeigned, with the sincerity of love. Well, well, what does that start to look like? Okay, we go a little bit further in this passage and look at the second part of verse number nine, with the separation of love. The separation of love. The Bible says here, abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. When we think about the word abhor, we rightly think about the word hatred. Abhor that which is evil. Hate that which is evil. 
But you know, the word abhor here is actually more than just the word hatred. It actually carries the idea of being horrified. Being horrified. He's literally saying, be horrified of that which is evil and then cleave to that. That carries the idea of being glued to cleave to that which is good. It's the same idea that we oftentimes use of that intimate relationship, a a relationship that is to be no closer than any other human relationship with a social aspect, with a physical aspect, with a mental aspect, with a marital aspect. When I come and become one with a spouse, the Bible helps us understand, cleave to that, that a husband shall leave his parents, his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto, and they too now shall be one flesh. Be horrified of that which is evil. Cleave to, be one with that which is good. The kind of message today that we're receiving is that it is is just for all mankind to practice love. The message that we're receiving from the world today is actually a message that's quite impossible to live. Well, we all just need to love. But when I love one thing, it means I do so often at the expense of denying another. We hear things like, we just need to love and not to hate. But that message isn't even logical. For if I truly love my wife, I will truly hate anything that may infringe upon that love. Today is a special day for a family in our church. So this is a family that Campus Church has prayed for for a lot of years, quite honestly. In fact, I remember when their son was born years ago... And we wondered if the Lord would give him more than just a couple years. Well, the Ainsworth family is a family here at Campus Church, and their son Chandler is a young man that we've prayed for for a lot of years. So Chandler has needed for some time a lung transplant. And Chandler just turned 18 years old, is that correct? So just turned 18 in January, and um, about five months ago in October... Or November. In November, Chandler finally had his double lung transplant. So today is a special day because it's his first day back in the gathered assembly. Now, he's, he's gathered with us today. In fact, family sitting here on the front row, which is not an uncommon place for them. So they oftentimes, I'll look down and I'll see the whole crew sitting right here uh, in the front row. And Chandler is, is here with them today. Well, Chandler has not been in large crowds for some time because of what we might understand are fairly obvious reasons. So he's not here oftentimes, or he hasn't been able to for the past five months because there was a carefulness regarding the potential for some kind of infection. In fact, shortly after the transplant took place, I would suspect that that everyone that came into his room was carefully protected. And they were so for, again, obvious reasons. This is is being a little bit silly, but I think we'll understand. If someone came into that room and they had a cough, now Chandler's just had a, a, a double lung transplant, and someone comes in and, and they have a little cough, and, 
and they say, listen, it's, it's no big deal. I just have a slight case of bronchitis. Well, listen, his dad's going to come. You know how we talked about love is glued? Okay, his dad's going to come unglued, okay? <laughs> and you say, well, why, why would he come unglued? Because of love, okay? See, what love says is, is because this is so vitally important, I, I'm fearful of, horrified of. A person comes in with, with just a slight, like, I just got a little case of bronchitis. Well, that's, that's horrific. It's, it's like, oh, I'm fearful of this. I'm horrified of what that might mean because I am. Do you understand that so often today in our Christianity, we have become so comfortable with those things that so many times should just be horrific. I am trying to cleave now not to that which is dangerous and horrific. I'm trying to cleave to that which is good, which means I am horrified of anything that may infringe upon this primary relationship. You know, sometimes we, we start to see a relationship decline even from that which it allows. Like, ah, oh, it's no big deal. Come on, don't be so worried about that. Certainly we have the liberty to participate in. And really what we're doing is we're seeing the demise of, the unraveling of something that should be so beautifully protected. But we started to introduce those things into a relationship that we should be horrified of. When we truly love God, we will be horrified at anything that may violate the sacredness the health, and the prosperity of that love. We will be glued to the good and horrified of the evil. What does our participation with the body look like? Well, it looks like the sincerity of love. It looks like the separation of love. It also looks like the submissiveness of love. How do we participate? <clears throat> with the submissiveness of love. Verse number 10, Romans chapter number 12, be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love in honor, preferring one another. To be quite honest, this is one of my favorite marriage counseling verses. It's wonderful because it works only if one person does it. If just one person says, I am going to in honor prefer you above myself, it works. Now, if both people in the marriage say, I'm going to prefer you above myself, it's a little taste of heaven on earth. We say, well, what if only one person does it? What if only one does it? Might they get taken advantage of? Maybe, but I will promise you this. This principle works in honor, preferring one another. Have you ever come bothered to church because it wasn't all that you wanted it to be? It didn't meet all of your preferences. It doesn't check at this point all of your boxes. Have you ever considered that if the assembly of believers was everything you wanted it to be, it may be more about you than it is about coming together to worship Christ? If that's how we come to church, it can be ever so subtly more about us than it is about Jesus. Are we okay with church because they do everything the way I want it to be done. For example, we can 
begin to think things like, I'm okay here because the church says amen just the way I think they should. Or the preacher preaches just the right amount of time that I think he should. Or they do financial reports just like I like them. Do you see how self-centered this can be? We then can become rather demanding if things aren't done just the way we like them. Or if something changes from what we liked to what we don't like, we can become deeply frustrated. Consider an even more basic aspect of how a supernatural love reveals itself through the submission to others. When we assemble, think about a very practical way. What does this look like? Like I'm preferring them above myself. All right, now again, you don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you have ever had a bad day? Okay, a bad day. How many of you have ever met someone who had a bad day and they wanted everyone to know they had a bad day? Have you ever met that person before? Do you know, it, it can actually be communicated even through something as simple as a greeting. Like you're walking by, hey, morning. And the manner with which they respond tells us they're having a bad day and they certainly want everyone else to know it. Have you ever thought about the power of preferring another even through the simplicity of your greeting one another? Just the manner with which we come before another person and express the priority of them over ourselves. I know there are a lot of reasons why a person can have a bad day. There could be things that are like, oh, if I knew that, I would have understood more clearly why their demeanor is so fallen. But I also know that, generally speaking, the assembled believers, the assembling of believers of Jesus Christ should be reflective of the one that we call our king. The Bible says in Psalm 144 verse 15, happy is that people that is in such a case. Yea, happy is that people whose God is the Lord. And is this, even through a simple greeting, what we're trying to convey? Husbands, how do you greet your wife when she walks into the room and you haven't seen her all day? Wives, how do you greet your husband when you haven't seen him all day or he's been away? Children, how do you greet your parents when you return from a day of school or have been away for a semester at college? Let's ask a, a simple and almost silly question. How does your dog greet you after you've been out of the house for five minutes? Okay. Okay, how does your cat that's a different sermon, okay? So <laughs> how does your dog greet you when you have been away all day? I, I find it interesting that there is little thought of itself and great thought about being reunited with you. How is it that we communicate the value of another person through the simplicity of a greeting? You might say, well, it's not my personality to have a big smile on my face and to have a happy greeting. You know, I would say that's perfect because if it's not your personality, then it is clearly the power of the Holy Spirit who has infused you with joy that you now begin to communicate. When you drive onto the campus of Pensacola Christian College, there are people that greet you every time you come on campus. 
They're, um, they're people who work as security on the campus of PCC. There are different levels of greeting that you get, and, and I get them all the time. And there are some that I especially enjoy. I know that this is probably, I don't know, and I've never checked, but it's probably just protocol. It's part of what a security guard's supposed to do. When you come on, you're supposed to wave at the people who come on campus. Have you ever had someone wave at you, and maybe not just a security guard, but greet you without looking at you? Like, greet you but not look at you. I'm not, I'm not singling out security. I'm just talking about people in general. Like, they like, eh, you know. It's kind of like a coronation wave, okay? You just... Okay, so then, then the next level, a person greets you and they look at you. And this is the security guards do all the time. They come on campus and, and um, they come out of their, their little room and, and, um, and they wave. And then oftentimes they, they look at you. Like they look at you in the eyes. Hey, okay. Well, I, I do, like, hey, you know. And then sometimes, this is like, this is like, you know, I don't know, they probably get uh, bonus pay for this, you know. But they look at you, wave, smile. Like, hey, hey. <laughs> and I do, I, I, I look at them, hey. You know, I really smile. <laughs> Just smile. You say, well, well, what's the big deal with that? It's not a big deal. Honestly, it's not a big deal. But let me ask you this. Do you think that is somewhat reflective of how the body of Christ should interact with one another? Because a simple greeting says, I care about you more than I'm striving to make you care about me. Well, if you knew the kind of day I was having, ah, now something supernatural. Well, if you knew about the load I was carrying, I know something supernatural. Well, if, if, if they had to deal with all that I'm, I know. Something supernatural in honor preferring one another. Time will prevent us today from continuing on with three additional insights into how it is that a believer is to participate with the body. But as we conclude, let's conclude with this. Each of these that we've looked at today is a reflection of how we demonstrate our participation with the body of Christ, the church. And the glue that holds all of our interactions together is the glue of love. So can I ask some probing questions as we close? Would others watching you closely actually see the sincerity of your love? Is this what your husband sees? Is this what your wife sees? Do your children, your friends, your roommates, your parents, your employees, your employer, your neighbor, the person on the other end of the phone, or even the person you are walking by, do they see something of Jesus in you? Your participation within the body of Christ matters, and love is the duty of supernatural living. And if our love is nothing more than responsive love, someone's loved me, so I will love them, 
It is not reflective of the supernatural love of Jesus Christ. Scripture sums it up beautifully when it says in straightforward fashion, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone that loveth knoweth God, is born of God. By God's grace, beloved, let us love one another. 